Welcome to the ProfServe Traction Podcast, dedicated to exploring how professional services and technology businesses break through the ceiling. Here's your host, Steve Prada. Good day, dear listeners. My name is Steve Prada. I'm the host of the ProfServe Traction Podcast, and I have today with me Ben Faferman, who is a serial entrepreneur from Ontario, Canada. Hi, Ben. Let me introduce you, Ben. He is the CEO of Amucal Esports, which is Canada's leader in esports venues, leagues, and tournaments. He is also the managing partner of Amuka Capital, which raises capital for real estate, technology, and particularly esports companies. He is also the co-founder of an incubator called Level 6 Esport Incubator, which is the one, the first and only incubator for esport-related companies in Canada. He also is the founder of a Twitch channel, Old People Playing Games, which I particularly like because it reminds me of myself, not as a gamer, but maybe the age group. And he holds a BA in law and an MBA in real estate leadership. So very interesting background. He also holds a security license in Canada. So excited to have you, Ben. Yeah, thanks a show. lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, so this is a really interesting uh, bio. Probably you are the best so far in terms of the uh, variability and, and kind of excitement of your bio. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey. How do you get here? Uh, real estate, esports, you know, MBA, and all these different uh, companies that you're running. Yeah, sure. Um, I've always been interested in finance and money since my bar mitzvah. Uh, I was trading, you know, my bar mitzvah money when you know online brokerages started to come up. In I don't know, twenty year, twenty plus years ago. So I've always loved it. I never went to business school originally, so really self-taught. I went into film because I was just passionate about it. Produced a couple of documentaries. And then uh, decided, yeah, I really wanted to go into finance. So I got registered as a securities dealer, worked for a couple of shops. And then really the entrepreneur in me said, I, I want to open up my own investment bank. So I did that a couple of years ago called the Muka Capital. We started to raise money for some real estate projects, tech deals, and then eventually esports companies were coming to us. And this was like, kind of like in the middle of the cannabis boom. And really just, I love the industry. I love the space and just thought, hey, you know what? There's an opportunity to really build something from the ground up instead of raising money for other companies. And right. so kind of put the bank on hold. It's still active, but, and really went all in on Amuk Esports, which is, you know, we raised a little bit of money and acquired esports assets that are really synergistic and connected at a local level. That's really exciting. I didn't realize that we actually have very similar backgrounds. I also am a former investment banker. I had an M&A firm that I built from the ground up and then I went into a different direction, uh, much like you. So that's really interesting to hear. But let's go back to this eSport uh, thing. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit, I feel a little bit bad about this because I felt uh, kind of uh, weird about this whole eSport idea until I started watching a couple of your videos and hearing a little more about it. So please tell us a little bit about this whole idea that how can computer games be sport and why, you know, why, why do we call it a sport and, and how is it different from other sports? Yeah, so at the most basic level, eSports is playing video games competitively. It could be, you know, playing for... 10 bucks or bragging rights with a few of your friends in a beer league, or it could be playing for $40 million of prize pool um, in a similar stadium that you have in your background like that. So that that's where esports. I mean, look, anything and everything can be competitive. Food is competitive. There's a competitive food eating scene. So 
you know, yeah. I, I know a lot of people are kind of hung up on how can video games be a sport or competitive? And like, my answer is what isn't competitive these days? Like, you know, so the other thing, you know, that comes up is, is, you know, streaming and content creation. People do watch other people play video games, which people think is kind of weird. And like kind of to that, if you really just, just yeah, if you just yeah. think objectively, like, is it really that weird? Like people, what else do people watch on YouTube? Like my kids watch marble runs and all sorts of like weird stuff. So I think it's like, you know, if you love the game, you watch it. Like, you know, football is a great example. You ask people like, do you play football? No, 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 I don't play football. But do you watch other people play football? Hell yeah, I watch it every Sunday. So like, why would esports be different? Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, uh, when I think about back to my college years when I... You know, we played video games every now and then, and it was kind of addictive. And and I felt like since I'm not never gonna make it, uh, it wasn't even a thing at the time. I just realized it was a waste of time for me because I could put my efforts to better use. But if I see that someone has just won three million dollars, a 16 year old kid in in Fortnite, and maybe that that is worth putting some efforts into it. Yeah, and even just even forgetting that for a second. You can get a full a full scholarship, you know, competing in League of Legends or Rocket League. So the same way, you know, if you excelled in football or basketball or hockey, you could get a scholarship and go to college and get a great education. Same thing with esports. Most universities now in in Canada, so most colleges have an esports program. Many universities have one, and in the U.S. as well, we're seeing a lot of them where you can get a partial or full scholarship to play and compete. That's amazing. So what really resonated with me when I was listening to another podcast that you did is this idea that some of the kids who are maybe not athletic, they find a good outlet for their, their talents. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I wasn't really good at basketball or soccer, uh, but I, I was kind of intrigued by fencing and uh, I started fencing and, and I kind of had this idea that you can be a fencer even if you're not uh, athletic in the usual way and you can be successful there were some examples in front of me uh, who were kind of really weird style of fencing but they were successful were champions I really like this idea that maybe this is a sport for me and I was reasonably successful so maybe this is uh, this is a similar idea that these these kids uh, find an outlet where but they can be talented. Yeah, 100%. I think when we look at kind of like the social activities in academic institutions, they're very focused on traditional sports, which are largely physical. And if you don't fit that mold and you're not good at sports, it's hard for your confidence. It's hard to fit in. It's hard to make friends. And there was a whole many generations that grew up not being able to find those communities. And I think what esports has done is it's empowered people that do love games to now say, hey, there's a community that I can fit in with and belong with and um, I can succeed and improve and get better. And the, the skills you learn playing a lot of these video games, especially the ones that are team based, are are so important with, you know, all the other skills you're learning, critical thinking, strategy, problem solving, working as a team. Like these are critical skills that everyone needs to have. And you are constantly building and developing, developing them, you know, in your gameplay. That's really cool. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about gamifying uh, in the workplace to make it more engaging and more interesting uh, for people, especially young younger generations who were brought up on maybe video games. So is there a way to kind of, um, are there games that help teams get better in teamwork and uh, build better relationships? Is this even a thing? 
I can tell you that there's games that don't do that. There's a popular game called Among Us, which we, we do play jokingly as a team. And the idea really is you got to kind of lie and cheat and deceive your way into victory. So we play that as a team. I think it's fun team building, even though like kind of the objective is the opposite. But listen, I think anytime you're playing together and competing is, is good team building. And so it doesn't have to be a game that is focused on that. I just think if you want to play counter-strike together as a team then yeah that's great i think you guys will you know your team could bond over that and there are games that are good for beginners to figure out among us might be a good one so ben so switching gears here so tell me a little bit about what does an esport facilitation you know venues business look like what is the business model and what do you do when there's a pandemic going on yeah so we have more of an esports arena uh, so people people can come in during the day and play on our PCs and consoles. Why would someone come in here and play when they can play at home? Number one is you're playing on like a top of the end PC. So like our specs are top of the line, both computers, peripherals, monitors, everything. Also, internet speed is very important. So we've got the fastest commercially available internet you can get right now. So if you don't have a good internet connection in your home, it really affects your online gameplay. And the last reason people come in is like, just privacy or playing with their friends, you know, like some people just can't have three or four guys in their, in their bedroom or basement playing Fortnite. So they come in and play. That's not even like the biggest part of the business. The real part is tournaments. So we, you know, pre COVID we were running, geez, four or five, sometimes even six tournaments a week. People pay an, an additional fee to enter and that's our biggest source of revenue. So during COVID we moved all those tournaments online and uh, we continue to run them online and I think we're going to be reopening again next week so people can still come back in person and game again. That's interesting. So how does that work in the virtual realm? So when there's a pandemic, let's say if for the next uh, 12 months, you won't be able to be on anywhere near your, your earlier capacity. How do you make up for lost revenue? I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell me about how it works. How, how do you move it online and the sponsorships and stuff? Yeah, the model the model definitely changes. So when we run a event here, you know we're giving gamers a professional gaming experience. Steve, if you come in here, do you play any video games? I used to play a little bit of soccer um, and some tennis, but not not a lot. Okay, so let's say you know you like soccer, you're going to come in, you're going to play in our FIFA league, you know, for the yeah, FIFA the video FIFA. game. So yeah, of course you could play at home on, on Xbox or PS4, but when you come in here, you know, you're on a stage and there's casters Oh, Steve uh, passes out the ball here makes his way in. There's lights. It's streamed online. Your friends are there. So you get such an incredible experience. So it's worth paying the 10 or 20 buck entry fee to get in and compete and play as soon as, and there's no other gaming experience like that in Toronto, especially a couple of our competitors have now gone under. But as soon as we move online, now we are competing with thousands of tournament operators around the world. So how do then how do we compete and still make money? So we have to have tournaments that are sponsorship driven and free to enter. So it just means we have to work harder to get sponsors to say, hey, we're going to have a huge tournament. A thousand people are going to come in. We're going to have x thousand amount of viewers it's going to be free to enter we need this amount of money for the production and you know for a prize pool so that's that's how the model changes uh when you move online and is a little bit more difficult but i think the results are way better like we're now 
we're hitting great numbers. We're moving into markets that we wouldn't normally do geographically because we can do it online. Yeah, you know this is this is so exciting, and obviously the pandemic is is a is a great uh, tragedy uh, for society in general, and a lot of people uh, dying and and hurt. But there are also a lot of innovation coming out, and I was just reading this blog the other day from um, a guy who runs. Uh, essentially a dating network for M&A firm, for mergers and acquisitions firms, where private equity groups and, and investment bankers can come together. It's called Axia. And he was talking about how the uh, due diligence process changed and everything is, is happening online and the roadshows are happening online. And, and they have conferences where they have these speed dating situations where people who look for capital and capital providers, they can come together and, uh, and discuss things. And they did it now online. And what happened was they surveyed the, the participants and they actually preferred the online. So over 50% said that they actually preferred the online to the real thing. And another 30% said that they don't care. It was only less than 20% who, who thought that in-person was even better. So what is your thinking? Do you think it's going to go back? Uh, or it's going to be a hybrid model going forward? I think in general, I like the fact that every meeting is virtual now. Like, you know, if I've had a long day and, you know, I got like my four or five o'clock call, you know, I'm, I can relax, put my feet up, you know, do business in the comfort of my office, you know. So it's, it gives me a lot of flexibility. I, I think it is great that there's a lot of, I think it's the hybrid. You know, I, at the end of the day, um, travel is expensive. Travel is difficult. I personally, I'm a networking guy. I love to go out there. I'm outgoing, shake hands, meet people, network, connect. So I want to go back to that. And I also think a lot of events, at least in my industry, are very experiential. So, you know, let's say uh, DreamHack, okay? DreamHack's a huge event. It's in Montreal. It's at like a stadium like you have behind you. I want to watch the action, hear the fans and cheer like the excitement, I'm not getting that online. So I think if it's just like a panel and speakers, yeah, you could do that online. It's probably makes more sense. But if it's a experiential event like that, like an esports competition or an expo, I definitely want to see it back back as a live event. Yeah, it's the immersion feeling to be part of it. I also find that when I go to a conference, then I can basically disconnect completely with what I'm doing so I can be totally present. Whereas I'm doing it from my office, then I'm going to be distracted and just going to quickly answer this email or do a call. And, and then I'm suddenly not fully immersed. I'm not fully engaged and the, the, the quality of the experience. I don't get the, uh, the, benef- the side benefits of it. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely a good point. I, I also like, I love the uh, business travel experience. Like yeah. I love flying. I love rental cars. I love hotel rooms. You know, I think it's all part of the trip, but the biggest downside when you ever go to these conferences is like you get back, uh, maybe if you experience this, you get back to your hotel and you got like a hundred emails and it's just like, they just keep building up and you're trying to forget about it. You want to experience this conference. You paid all the money to get here and the time. So that's always a struggle I have is, you know, like to be able to put all that work aside so I can focus on the event. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So what about the the upside? I mean, when you say that you can do inter, uh, you can basically do cross-border or global thing. I mean, is there a bigger market that you can tap into? Do you feel like you can expand your reach as a company? Yeah, I mean, we can. But I also think at the same time, you know, Toronto is the fourth largest city in North America. We have over 5 million people in our, in our just the greater Toronto area. So there's kind of this 
inferiority complex with a lot of Canadian businesses that they have to go to the U.S. and they feel like that validates their company by being the U.S. Like, I'm really happy in my local market. I can make a lot of money here. I can make... I don't mean to say it like that. I just mean like it's a big industry here in Toronto and Canada. So if I never leave this country, you know, in terms of business operations, that would be okay. But I do recognize that I think Latin America is really kind of our our next big move. I think it's one of the best markets. It's untapped. There's so much opportunity there. It's a great gaming culture. So I think after we we do a lot of work in Canada, moving into next year, it's going to be Latin America. Okay. So, so Ben, so switching gears here a little bit, tell me about how you are building this business. So what, you know, what do you have a framework? Do you use a, a business framework? I call the management blueprints, like the entrepreneurial operating system that I teach uh, companies, which is basically help them orchestrate the, the moving parts of their business so that they have a cohesive team and, and everyone's executing with discipline and accountability. Um, and they have a vision and that everyone is aligned around. So do you do any such thing or do you have some kind of a, a framework or is it just a trial and error b- way of building your business? I'm going to be honest with you. It's trial and error. It's it, it's figuring this out. This is a new, pretty new industry. So there isn't, there's not, you know, a hundred years of auto manufacturing, you know, to build off of, you know, in that industry as an example. So we're really figuring it out. And I don't just think it's an esports thing. I also just think it's like, it's also a COVID thing. It's, you know, you've developed and you had, you know, this is how we're going to make money, A, B, and C. And now you have to find all new ways to make money in the middle of a pandemic. So trial and error. And I look, it's just, it's, it's hustle. Like you just got to keep, I think we're that company, like we're that company that I think we'll pitch to an investor and they'll like pass. And I think in the back of their mind, they're thinking like, nah, these, these guys, they're not going to make it. And then like, we just keep staying around. Like we just keep finding a way every month to make it work and to keep going. And that's the unorthodox strategy. So how do you share your time between the different businesses? I mean, you have the investment banking or, um, you know, capital raising business. You are doing the incubator. You have this, uh, sports venue and uh, and esport league tournament business how how, how do you sh- divide your time between these things ideally i like to build i like to come up with the idea the concept build the framework the infrastructure and then i pass it along uh to teams to execute so the esports incubator like that was an idea i had i just like was shocked that a esport early stage esports companies were like pretty you know had very bad business acumen and just weren't really in, in the place where they needed to be. They needed a lot of work and there's no incubator and it's already hard to raise money as a startup. When you add that you're an esports startup, it's harder. So creating the idea, I help in the beginning, get it off the ground. And then I make sure I hire great people to, to look after it. And I try to be involved as little as possible. And usually it's more to put out some fires and, you know, give some, weigh in on certain things, but I think you can't be doing everything yourself. There's not enough hours in the day. And I think leadership is about building other leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so how do you build a team in, in a new industry like that? When you're trying, you're, you're trying to figure it out yourself, how do you make sure you hire people? I mean, do you even, are there even people out there with this kind of experience? So, so tell me a little bit about how do you build a team and organization in uh, with such a novel innovative uh, initiatives? Yeah, I don't think, I'm just trying to think about the team. I don't think I've hired one single person 
on our team. So what is a little bit unique about our situation is it's a good term. Have you heard of like aqua hire? So it's like, it's an acquisition, but hiring. So when, what we look to do is, you know, we're going to acquire all the different esports verticals that connect to each other. That's like, that's our investment thesis is acquiring esports assets that connect at a local level together. And through that, we acquired the team. So when we, when we bought waves gaming, you know, we, we kept the team and brought four of those people on with us. When we acquired organized gaming, we brought in the CEO. And so when we make acquisitions, we're not really buying what they're doing at the end of the day, I could get a lease too. And I could, you know, with enough money, you could do anything, but, the secret sauce is the people. So when we look to acquire, we're, we're basically hiring. We find to find good people to work with and and hire, and acquire those businesses and then keep them on. That's, it. That's interesting. So you're kind of an umbrella and then you have all these different in, in, uh, businesses that you bring in and, and these are entrepreneurial businesses, right? So they are run by people who can basically hustle themselves and you, you give them the brand or, or how does it work? Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it. Uh, you know, everyone has had that experience of starting their own business. And so I think those skills are incredibly valuable. They're essential, I would even say. So I've, at that point, I've seen, okay, this person has started their own esports company. They've been able to get this far. Great, we're going to acquire them, combine all of our resources, and then like hit the ground running even harder. Now, at, now I'm kind of at the point where I'm a little bit less interested in acquiring businesses. I rather kind of start them. So that's that's kind of like level six. We started it. Our big esports championship series. We started it. I've got a new project for esports apparel. Starting it. So I'm not really buying stuff that I could do myself unless there's a really good reason to. But I think now we have the right team that we can we can move into any underserved vertical we want to. That's uh, pretty uh, exciting. So these people that that work with you or work for you are they your employees or or are they fellow uh, owners of your your business? How do you uh, motivate them and keep them entrepreneurial? Yeah, great question. They are all employees and they're all owners. So w- with all the acquisitions, we acquire them in stock. So they all own shares of our company. So we're all motivated. We're all yes, they're employees, but they're owners, and they they it's a different mentality. They really see this as their company, it's our company, Amuka Esports, and I think that gives us a much stronger uh, work ethic. So, what, what do you expect? You're incubating these esports uh, companies. What is the kind of market opportunity that you see uh, that these companies can tap into? Is this a fast-growing market for me running the incubator, or these companies like the the verticals that they're in? Well, the companies you are incubating in the incubator. So, the the companies that come and and use your services, and what what is happening to them? Is this a big market? Is this something that's growing by leaps and bounds, or it's more of a niche where you have, you know, some growing demand, but it's not like exploding, and uh, you just have to be the one player, one of one of the handful of players that can make a living there. What what does it look like? Yeah, I think I think with all of them. So what we do is we take four companies, and one of the things that we make sure is is that they're not competitors. Okay, so they're all in four different esports verticals. So if I look at our cohort right now, we have a team. We have a fantasy betting platform. We have a, another platform that is working to improve how streamers can monetize. And another one that's a mobile game social network based in the Philippines. So they're all different. And as they go through the incubator, we have it's 10 weeks where we, we have weekly calls with them to make sure they're hitting their targets and what they have to do. 
We have weekly, se uh, monthly sessions with guest speakers that are industry heavyweights. And at the end of the day, and then we also collaborate and run programs. So if they need to beta test, if they need to new users, if they need to run a tournament, whatever it is, we do that with them. My goal is I want these companies to succeed. I want them to get funded. And we're, what we're really seeing is there's a lot of M&A in esports. There's a ton of M&A in esports, like more than anything else in the world. So if these are good assets out there and we know about them, I'm sure like there's a good chance we can help get them acquired by, by other companies out there. Wow. Has there been an IPO for an esport company yet? Tons. Tons, yeah. Oh, wow. Probably like 20 esports companies have already IPO'd in the past couple of years. Okay, that's pretty cool. So so what do you expect going forward? What what is the 20s gonna look like for your business? What is your vision? Yeah, I think kind of like two or three really important trends to watch. One is mobile gaming is really gonna take over. Here in North America, like we're all very affluent and we all have expensive PCs and whatever. That's not how the rest of the world games. The rest of the world, you know, a tuk-tuk driver in, in India, he's gaming, he's gaming, but he's gaming on his phone. And that's how most people will play and connect. And so I think that's going to be way bigger globally and also finally make inroads in North America. So, and we want to be a part of that. We're looking to start to field rosters in certain mobile games. The other trend that I don't think is a 2021 trend, it's probably 2022, is V-Sports, VR Esports. So right now, Oculus 2, the Ocul Oculus Quest 2 has just come out. I think it's one of, going to be one of the biggest selling items over the Christmas uh, shopping season. I just think that more consumers will have a VR headset. More game publishers are going to be publishing games that will have a competitive scene. And I think it's cool. Like it's one thing for me to, you know, have my mouse and keyboard and play and compete. It's another to have my headset and like, you know, I'm boxing and I'm actually throwing punches. It's just a really cool experience. So I think VR is going to be another one of those big trends to look for in the next year or two. So VR, virtual reality, right? Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. And what is your your personal vision? I mean, what do you, where do you want to take uh, Amuka uh, Esports? Do you see yourself becoming a big player? Just stay focused, stay focused on Canada, or you're going to go international? And what the business is going to look like? Are you just going to to stay with your you know your venue uh, business, or are you going to keep all those other verticals and you're going to grow it to a conglomerate? Do you have a, a vision like that? All of the above, yes. So right now we have announced a merger and we're planning to merge with a company based in Vancouver called YDX. It's a publicly traded company. And through that, we hope to be one of the biggest digital entertainment companies in Canada. But to your point, no, I'm not stopping at Canada. Um, you know, we have some really cool IP that we're working on to really, to go global. It, yeah, is to really like make this a global entertainment company with a lot of very synergistic brands and um, and and be one of the leaders, especially for publicly traded esports companies, which we would be once we close on this acquisition. That's really cool. So who are the investors? Who who are the people who are putting money in, in esports? A, lo a lot of people are putting in money. Uh, then just from October alone, uh, there's been over $300 million of uh, recorded esports investment. So that gives you a good idea. It's everyone now. It's family offices. It's institutional investors. It's you know, we're seeing Guild Esports, for example, which is based in London. They raised 40 or $50 million on the David Beckham name to go public there. So there's a lot of money that's, that's flowing. I think investors understand that that Gen Z demographic 
ain't watching movies, isn't listening to as much music, but they're playing video games. And, and that's really, that's really where you're going to get that audience. Interesting. Uh, I also uh, read somewhere that some of the celebrities, uh, athletes are putting money uh, like Drake and, and uh, LeBron James. Uh, can you elaborate on that? What, what are these guys doing and what, what is their idea of, of funding um, you know, esports companies and teams? Uh, yeah, every athlete and uh, every musician and celebrity is involved in an esports team. A lot of them are owners. Some of them are brand ambassadors. Um, LeBron James's son is uh, like a content creator for a big esports company called FaZe Clan. I'm trying to think some of the recent ones. Yeah, The Weeknd is a uh, investor in one of Toronto's teams. Yeah, like it, it's a who's who out there. Michael Jordan, uh, Steph Curry, uh, Shaq and A-Rod are part owners in a team called Energy. Like the list goes on. I can't even keep track of like who's investing, but every top celebrity is doing it. And I think because traditional sports, particularly football, a little bit baseball, it's in like, a, it's an old, it's an old men's club. You know, these are billionaires and there wasn't really the opportunity for players to become owners in a lot of leagues. And so now with esports. All these players are saying, hey, this is finally my opportunity. You know, I couldn't be a part owner of the uh, Golden State Warriors, but I can be a part owner of, you know, this California esports team. So and they're and these guys are so competitive. So they love the action. And I think that's where that's where that transition moves in. And they can they have a big fan base and they can bring that over to the esports team. And so for all those reasons, we're going to see way more like every single basketball player, every single sports athlete is going to be in it. If they're not already interesting, and what about the? I mean, how do these teams professionalize? Do do you expect professional leagues, or are they still already exist, uh, where you can do the same thing as for the NBA or the NFL, that you actually have teams that are professional that are run by professional coaches and and uh, where you have some stability and they keep playing the same games? How, yeah. How how would that work? Yeah, there's kind of two models. One is a franchise model, which is similar to the NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, soccer, uh, where you will purchase a franchise, a city-based franchise from the game publisher, and you'll have it. So there's a there's a Toronto Call of Duty team. There's a Seattle Call of Duty team, you know, just like there are in sports. And that's one model, and that model does provide a lot more cost certainty for the owners, a lot more stability for sponsors, and it's probably the future is to, is to franchise. There's now other leagues that are kind of more like soccer, um, like golf and tennis, where there's no franchise spot. If you're good enough, you can qualify, and there's a tour. There's major events, there's minor events, and you just go around and you compete in them. And those tend to be single-player games. And then there's a few in the middle that are merit-based team, ba- you know, that you have to qualify to win. But once you're in, you get some perks and benefits of a franchise without having to buy a franchise. So those are those are kind of like the three different models that we're seeing right now, and it's always evolving and changing. And uh, then what about these games? I mean, they seem to be some games come into fashion, go out of fashion, like Fortnite was really huge two years ago, and and then Minecraft before it. What do these teams do? I mean, they, they get good at a game, and when it goes out of fashion, then they switch to another game, or how does that work? Yeah, though, you're right. That That is the challenge. So one strategy that some teams have is to just say, let's just have them all. So you, you hedge your bet. If one of them goes under, you go under. 
But the biggest risk, you know, especially when you're going to buy a franchise in one of these closed leagues, you know, this is a $25 million investment. So if people stop playing that game, you know, you're in trouble. The other, the other problem to think about is in, tradi- in traditional sports, let's just use football, like American football as an example, they're not making any more football, right? Like there's, there will never be other football leagues. They've tried XFL or so when you have a football slot, you have a football slot for life. When you have a Call of Duty slot, that same company can make other Call of Duties and competitors can make more shooter games. So you, you don't have that cost certainty that people are going to play the same sport forever like you do in traditional sports. Yeah, so that seems like a big challenge. So anyway, we, we probably could spend hours uh, digging into this and, and understanding how, how that works. So as a leader of your company, I mean, do you have a leadership team that you work with and uh, where you are, you know, people that you're building up or it's it's basically you are all uh, professionals that are doing your own thing and and it's a loosely organized professional service firm, like a law firm where everyone is practicing law and they come together, but it's not really, uh, they're not really working together. What does it look like in your company? Yeah, definitely. It, we've got a very close team, very collaborative. Um, we try not to have any hierarchy. What we kind of structure, there's different brand leads. So people will lead a particular brand, uh, but we very much have like a lateral organizational structure. Um, and we don't like kind of having you know, managers and reporting and things like that. We want it to be an open collaborative environment. And I think that's, that fosters a little bit more creativity, a little bit more entrepreneurship. And I think that's how we're going to continue to do it. Awesome. Well, very interesting, Ben. Anything that I should have asked you and would make sense for the show uh, that you want to share with, with us? No, I, I just think, you know, gaming, if you don't play any games, you know, give it a try. Like, I, I know it seems very daunting that these games are so complicated. They're not. Like, honestly, I hadn't played a PC shooter game in 20 plus years and I picked it up pretty quickly. So I think it's good if you really want to understand anything, you got to try it out, right? Like, and you'll never really understand esports unless you jump into a game and, and try to understand what pe- the product. So uh, for people who are watching uh, or listening, that's my uh, advice to you is to, to give it a shot, have maybe someone younger than you uh, teach you how to do it and, um, and just enjoy and have fun gaming. Yeah, to be honest, I'm a little bit intimidated uh, with these games. I don't know how much time I would need to invest in it to, to get decent and not feel embarrassed about uh, my skills. But yeah, I might I might pick up FIFA and and see how how am I doing uh, with the new version, the 2021 version. So that's the beauty yeah. of match matchmaking is is there's a system that will put you against people at your level so that you don't have to have that feeling. That's a good point. That's a good point. Excellent. So so Ben, uh, very fascinating stuff. Um, people who would like to learn more about esports e- and and Amuka and uh, the, the leagues and how you can help them, uh, where can they reach you? Yeah, you can check us out at mookaesports.com. That's, uh, that's our website. And best way to connect with me is probably LinkedIn. Uh, ben Pfefferman. I'm, I'm usually putting out uh, interesting esports content every day. So just drop me a message. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Ben. So Ben Pfefferman, CEO of Amuka Esports. Thank you for joining uh, on the Professor Fraction. And for the rest of your listeners, we are going to be back next week with some more content and another interesting uh, entrepreneur. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
This was the ProfServe Traction Podcast with Steve Prada. To learn how your professional services or technology business could break through the ceiling with EOS, visit TractionEquity.com.